0: As we get into our message this morning, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 6, and that's where we will be in, uh, in our message this morning in just a few minutes. But let me start off uh, with a question, and here's the question, what is this? It's not rhetorical. A recliner? What else? What? A lazy boy. There's what I was looking for. Yeah, we call them recliners, you call it a chair, you call it whatever. But one of the brand names for them that's kind of caught on is lazy boy. Uh, you know, we call tissues Kleenex and we call these chairs lazy boys. And it's an interesting name, isn't it? Lazy boy. Uh, it's an interesting name because most of us would not consider laziness to be a good thing. In fact, many people grew up hearing about laziness as one of the cardinal sins that you could commit would be laziness and slothfulness, and yet we have a piece of furniture in our house at times that we are more than comfortable calling the lazy boy. It's interesting, we don't have other things in our house, to my knowledge, that we name with other sins. Uh, we don't call our wallets the greed packs. We don't call our refrigerator the glutton box. We don't call social media the envy factory or the lust generator, but we call this the lazy boy. Not even the rest boy, because like rest is good. i I. I-, I- think it is. I don't know if you'd argue with that. In fact I think God thinks rest is good. In fact I know God thinks rest is good because one of the top 10 commandments that he gave says remember the Sabbath and it's a commandment to rest. So rest is good and most of us would say that but probably the same amount of us which would be most if not all of us would say laziness is bad. Lust, uh, lust, whoa, wrong sermon. Rest is good, laziness is bad, and where is the line in between? Where is the line in between? I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning. Uh, And partly because as we're going through Proverbs, one of the big chunks of topics that's addressed in Proverbs is this idea of of laziness or slothfulness or sluggardness is the word that we're going to look at in this next passage. And where is the line between rest and laziness? This is a book, as we've been talking about Proverbs, it's a father giving wisdom to his son. It's God's way of sharing this wisdom with us. And this father is talking to his son, and he's looking down the road, and he's saying, son, look, and it might be said also, this is a very wealthy father talking to his son. So even more so the temptation, he's saying to his son, son, you're going to have the temptation down the road to be lazy, to be slothful, to not be about purposeful work. And so he speaks to his son in this kind of narrative that we're going to look at this morning, this short narrative, like he's talking to a sluggard and what he would say to a slothful and a lazy person. So Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, it's on page 530, 531 in your Bible in the chair if you're looking there. This is what the father says. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard. and want like an armed man. Now here's the danger of a message like this, or even like we've been talking in Proverbs, many of these messages. The danger is this. All of us sitting here right now, many of you, who are sitting here are saying, okay, doesn't apply to me. Off the hook on this one. Because the reality is, if I had passed out slips of paper before you came in this morning, and I said, write down one word that describes you. I dare say not one piece of paper would have come back with the word sluggard on it. Not one of us would have written on that paper, I am slothful. I am lazy. Even if you are, you wouldn't have written it because you're too lazy to write it. So you wouldn't, none of us would admit that. And yet this passage addresses, oh sluggard. Because when we think of lazy, we think of someone who just won't do What we think of is what's spoken of later in the book of Proverbs in chapter 26. I'm just going to read it for you. You don't have to turn there. But here's how Proverbs chapter 26 describes a lazy person or a sluggard. It says, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. That's what we think of when we think of lazy. We think of someone who makes excuses. The sluggard says, oh, there's a lion in the streets. There's a lion in the road. There's no real lion in the street or the road. That's an excuse. Oh, I can't. Come on. Let's go out and do work. I can't go out and do work. There's a lion in the road. Try that one with your boss tomorrow. I was going to come to work, but the darndest thing, there's a lion out in front of my house. That's a sluggard's excuse, like a door turns on its hinges. So a sluggard turns on its well, hinges. What's a, what's a hinge? A hinge is something that's, that's uh, always in motion but never moves, never goes anywhere, just turns but doesn't go anywhere. It says a sluggard's like that. Just kind of turns in his bed, but never goes anywhere. The sluggard, my favorite metaphor, my favorite image, he puts his hand in the bowl, getting out his nachos, (laughs) dipped them in the queso, too lazy to get the hand to his mouth. I mean, that's the sluggard. He's so wise in his own eyes, he wouldn't take any advice from anybody. And I describe that, and you say, yes, that is a lazy person, and no, that is not me. Because you got up out of bed this morning, you made it to church this morning, you look wonderful, you're dressed, you look good, we're here. You're not a sluggard, and neither am I, or are we? Here's my other question for you this morning. Is it possible to be busy and still be lazy? because none of you would consider yourself slothful, and I don't think you're slothful in the way that we often think of it, and I don't think I am, but the question is, are you busy lazy? Is it possible that we could, because we're all busy, i come up to you in the hallway, hey, how you doing, how was your week? Oh, busy. We're all busy. We're all, I'm busy, you're busy. It's amazing we have time to even talk to each other. We're all busy. Always busy. But is it possible to be busy lazy? What is busy lazy? looks like. Because rest is good, and laziness is bad, and where's the wine? Because when you make a good thing, an ultimate thing, it becomes a sin. And laziness is making rest, which is a good thing, into an idol. Saying, I will live my life for rest, and then I become lazy but you're not slothful and neither am I, but are we busy lazy? What does busy lazy look like? Well, one of my YouTube videos watched last month, 3.25 billion. Now, hold on a second there. Let's, I was talking to a friend of mine this week and we were talking about this message and he said, here's, here's what happens to me. He's talking about YouTube videos. He says, when I want to learn something, I go to YouTube. And I am grateful for the people who put things. I used YouTube this week, and someone showed me how to fix something on their car. And I don't know why they spent the time to upload that video, but I am glad they did. But here's what he said he does. He wants to learn something, and he will go to YouTube. And he will watch YouTube videos all day to learn how to do that thing he's trying to learn how to do. And then he never does it. (laughs) True story. And that is busy lazy. That is busy lazy, and are we busy lazy? Cell phone time per day, average three hours, 15 minutes, and the average person looks at their phone 58 times a day. And I think that's low for some of us. Some of you hit that this morning before 10. (laughs) Time spent watching TV per day, average three hours and 58 minutes time on social media per day, two hours and 22 minutes average. Are we busy lazy? Busy lazy is when you do the easy thing you can do instead of the hard thing you should do. That's busy lazy. I don't know what busy lazy looks like in your life. I know what it looks like in my life. Here's what busy lazy looks like for me. When I come into the church in the morning on an average weekday and I sit down at my computer and I start answering emails or writing emails, and then I leave at the end of the day and all I have done is answered and written emails. Now, if you're one of the people I've written one of those emails to, that was not lazy, that was important. But here's the thing for me it's not the emails, it's that I do that because I know it's fairly easy. And I can answer it and hit that send button and I feel good and I got something done. And, and, but I don't do the hard work of spending time listening to the Lord and praying about the message or researching the message or studying or meeting with people or visiting people because that's hard work. But the easy work I can sit down at my computer, not interact with anyone face to face and do this work. And at the end of the day, I go home and Wendy says, how was your day? And I say, I was busy, but not productive. Because I'm honest with myself. And if you're honest with yourself, maybe it's like that for you too some days. I was busy, but I didn't really get anything done. Because we're all busy with something. The question is really, are we busy with the right thing? It's like this guy I read about, Alexander Dawson, who lived in the 19th century. He was an architect. And the Australian government hired him to build a lighthouse because they had these rocks on the southern part of Australia that all these ships were dashing into. And so they hired him to build a lighthouse. In 1857, he built a lighthouse to help protect ships. But the only problem is after the lighthouse was built, even more ships started going into the rocks. And so they started to research it because the opposite's supposed to happen if you're not familiar with lighthouses. They're supposed to steer you away from the rocks, not into the rocks. So they went to research and they found out this lighthouse was built in a terrible location for navigation. It was built in a wonderful location if your job was just to build a lighthouse because it was right next to the rock quarry. And so their theory is that Dawson was more interested in the ease of construction than actually providing a navigational aid, and he built the lighthouse where it was easy to build rather than helpful in navigation, and I would say that Dawson was busy, lazy. Not purposeful work, not good work, not right work. And so some of us, you may not consider yourself slothful or sluggard, lazy, but are we busy lazy? Lazy. We're busy with stuff, but are we busy with the right work? And into this, the father's words come to the son as he's speaking to the sluggard. Go to the ant. What can we learn from an ant, right? I mean, we're so much smarter than them but he says, go to the ant. And here's what you learn when you go to the ant. When you go to the ant, he says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Well, what does that mean? The ant is active. The ant is active, always working. And so go to the ant and look at the ant. She's active. But she's not only active as she prepares her bread in summer and gathers food and harvest. She does what's necessary. The ant does what's necessary in order to be ready for summer and winter. And finally, the ant not only is active, does what's necessary, but is timely. She does it timely. See what I did there? Get that? A-N-T. Yeah, thank you very much. Here's the thing. Here's so you can remember it. Here's so I can remember it, really, but maybe you'll remember it, too. Uh, the ant does what's active, necessary, and timely, so be like the ant. You can do that, and uh, I was told after first service that my antics were antiquated, um, and I thought that was helpful, too. I have many puns in here. I'm going to spare you most of them. Um, I'm going to give you some of them. Uh, active, necessary, and timely. And so the ant is at work and is active. Uh, she is not antiphonal to what other people say. She is self-initiative. My family hates my puns. You do too. But anyways, here's the thing. Active, always at work. God created you to work. God created you to work. Some people think, no, work is a part of the fall. Sin, work came in with sin. Not if you read your Bible close enough. God created Adam and Eve, and he created Adam, and he told Adam, go and tend and care for the garden and name the animals. Sounds like work. And that was all before sin ever entered into the picture. Now, yes, work changed after sin. No question about it. But work was a gift from God. You saw that that, that drama just a moment ago when God breathed and the image of God, right? Made man in his image, right? You got the arms. I mean, it's not really like that. God doesn't have arms. But it was a good picture of how we're made in God's image. The idea that we have been made in God's image. And one of the ways I think we are made in God's image is that we have the ability to make stuff, to create, to do stuff, to work. God gave us purposeful work just like he did work. You may, even if you're retired, you don't have to work for a paycheck. You are still called to work. You've been given energy. You've been given ability. You've been given something that God wants to do something with. You're made to work. Be active. Do what's necessary. Do what's timely. Do what's necessary. The ant stores up food. It's amazing. I read about ants this week. I don't know what you did. I read about ants. It's amazing what ants do. Do you know ants herd other insects? They literally herd like aphids and stuff. Like when it gets cold, they will like, like do a, like a cattle. They, they will herd them into their ant nest. And then when the weather gets better, they herd them out. And they like eat off them and force them to work for them. Ants are pretty incredible. They do what's necessary to accomplish the work. It's funny that sometimes we aren't as industrious or as forward thinking as ants. The end of this passage says do this or want will come on you like an armed man. What does that mean? It means that if you don't do this you're going to find yourself wanting things that you're not going to have. It's going to come on you so quickly like an armed man like how did that happen? Happens in life. Happens in our spiritual lives. That if we don't do what's necessary now, then we won't be where we want to be later. We talk about this every January with our beginning of the year preaching series. We say, where do you want to be with the Lord on December 31st of this year? Because wherever you want to be with the Lord on December 31st of this year is going to be greatly affected with what you're going to do with all those days between now and December 31st. Are you going to do what's necessary to walk with the Lord, to grow with the Lord, to be, with, to be close to God, to, to learn from him, to press into his presence? Or will you just go along and at the end of the year be in the same place you are now? Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. I recommend it to you if you haven't read it. And in this book, Willard states that a lot of people want to be like Jesus. They just don't want to live the life that Jesus lived. They don't want to do what Jesus did. They don't want to press in in prayer. They don't want to obey the Father. They don't want to, to seek God the way that Jesus did. They just want the power and the things that Jesus did and the life he lived. Want comes on us like an armed man when we don't do what's necessary. She also does work that's Timely she is not antipathetic to feelings about work she is antipathetic i use that word wrong pastor marvin taught me that word too she is antipathetic to her feelings in other words she doesn't care what the feelings are doesn't matter because some of us only want to work when we feel like working some of us just want to work when we feel like do the hard work when we feel like doing the work but not the ant ant doesn't get up and ponder its antness do I feel like working today? Maybe I don't feel like carrying that leaf today. That's not the ant. The Ants, it's day. It's time. They do sleep, if you're wondering. Some of them power nap, if you're also wondering. Those ones don't live very long. I was not happy to hear that. <laughs> but the, uh, they don't wake up and worry about their antness and what's They're going to go to work. They feel like it, not feel like it. You do the work. But some of us are busy lazy because we only want to do the hard work when we feel like doing it. And so we're busy lazy. So we get busy doing the easy stuff we can do instead of the hard stuff we should do. Imagine parenting when you feel like it. I'm just going to parent when I feel like it. Some of us do parent when we feel like it. And if we're not careful, we might miss the best time to plant seed and the right time to harvest. There's a time when the soil of your child's heart is soft and ready to receive instruction, guidance, and the message of the gospel. If we are lazy doing other things, busy lazy, and then go and try and plant seeds in those hearts later, you might get something to grow, but it might take a lot more work. Because we weren't doing the work in a timely manner when we needed to. If we're lazy doing other things and then go and try and plant seeds when it's supposed to be harvest time, it might take a lot of extra work. How many of you know when the best time to plant the lawn is? What's the best time of year to plant the lawn? Fall. Fall. I didn't know that a few years ago. Fall. Fall seems counterintuitive to me. In New England anyways seems weird to plant something right when you're going into the time where you're about to have the least amount of sunlight, and everything's going to freeze for six months. But it turns out it is. The fall's the best time to plant a lawn. Now, you can try and plant a lawn in the heat of the summer like today. If you want to plant a lawn, you can go out today and and try and plant a lawn. And you might get something to grow, but it's going to take a lot more work. You're going to have to give a lot more water, some artificial shade, and you might get something to grow, but it's not timely. And the ant works timely. So what's the best time for you to do the work that God has called? Not when you feel like it, not when I feel like it, but I might be busy, lazy, because I'm only working when I feel like it. Some of us are trying to plant seeds of the gospel when we feel like it on our schedule. Not on God's schedule or the schedules of the people we're trying to minister to. We want to plant seeds of the gospel when we're prayed up and studied up and ready to talk and have ample time and conversation and have all the answers to their questions. But what if the best time to plant the seeds of the gospel in your friend's life is not when you're ready, but when they're ready? What if it's not when you have the time, but when she just broke up with her boyfriend and is looking for someone to talk to about the love that she's really looking for and you know that love's only gonna be found in God. And there's a time there, there's a moment there. And if you say, let's get together next week and talk about it, it may not be there. The ant doesn't do it when they feel like it. The ant does it in a timely manner. What if harvest time, when it comes to the gospel, is not Sunday morning at the altar in a church service, or when you're on a missions trip, but what if harvest time happens on a Thursday afternoon in the lunchroom, in the work cafeteria, or in the school lunchroom at twelve thirty, when your friend says to you, I know there's got to be something more in life, I just don't know what it is. That's harvest time, whether you are ready for it or not. Without the worship band, without the pastor there. If you're going to be timely like the ant, you take advantage of those moments. See, you can't just work when you feel like it, father saying to the son. That's what the slugger does, just works when he feels like it. Jesus had something. Similar to say about these attitudes towards work. He told it in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. I'm not going to read it for you, but let me tell it. The parable of the talents. It was a master that was going away, and he was entrusting some of his money to a few of his servants. And they measured money in something called a talent. The talent was a large measure of money. It was actually one talent was 20 years average salary. And so he's going away, and he calls these three servants to him, and he calls one, and he said, I'm going to give you five talents. And he called another, and he gave him two, and another, and he gave him one. And the master went away. And the man that he gave five talents to invested it, traded it, and gained five more. And similarly, the one that had two invested it, traded it, and gained two more. But the one that had one did nothing with it. And then the master returns because the master was always going to return. And he comes back and he checks on the money that he gave and he checks on these servants. And the first one comes back and says, Master, you gave me five talents, 100 years worth of salary. Imagine that. Here I have gained five more. Here's what's yours. The master says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. You will be put in charge over much. Imagine how much money the master had if a hundred years' salaries is just a little to him. And then this one with two comes also and says, you gave me two and I gained two more. And here's an important message that's probably a message for another day, but don't miss this. He gives the same words to the one who gained two as to the one who gained five. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with little, you'll be put over much. That's an important message because some of us look to what other people have and we start judging ourselves in light of what other people have done, and yet you have not been given the same thing they have been given. And so you must do with what you have been given, and you can get the same response from the Father, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The two, one with two, wasn't expected to gain five. But that's another message for another day. Let's talk about the one that had won. Because he comes back, and he didn't do anything with it. And let me read you what he says. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who had ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant out into the outer darkness. In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wicked, worthless, But the other word that's used to describe this one who did not invest his talent, who did not use what was given to him, is slothful. Slothful. Lazy. God commands rest, but laziness is a sin. And where's the line? And how many of us are being busy, lazy? Busy, but not busy with God's work and purposeful work that he gave to us. Because God has purposeful work for you. God has purposeful work for you and I to do. Al- Edgar Albert Guest wrote a poem called Tomorrow that I think maybe we can relate to. Talks about this man. He says, he was going to be all that a mortal should be tomorrow. No one should be kinder or braver than he tomorrow. Tomorrow. A friend who was troubled and weary, he knew, who'd be glad of a lift and who needed it too, on him he would call and see what he could do tomorrow. Each morning he stacked up the letters he'd write tomorrow and thought of the folks he would fill with delight tomorrow. It was too bad indeed, he was busy today and hadn't a minute to stop on his way, more time he would have to give others he'd say tomorrow. The greatest of workers this man would have been tomorrow. The world would have known him had he ever seen tomorrow. But the fact is he died, he faded from view, and all that he left here when living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. And many of us might relate to this. You know, we've talked about this before here at this church. Time is like currency, You can spend it, but you don't always know how much you have to spend. At some point, it's going to run out. You're not going to have any more time to spend. And if we keep putting off the things we know we should do till tomorrow, we may never get the things done that need to get done. Newton's first law of motion applies to the physical world, but I think we can apply it to our spiritual lives as well. An object at rest stays at rest and an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed in the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. It applies to the physical world, but I think it can apply to the spiritual world and to our lives as well. When you're at rest, you're going to have a tendency to stay at rest unless you're acted on by an outside force. You stay seated in front of the TV until you're acted on by another force. That force might be your bladder or your stomach. But some force acts on you, telling you it's time to leave. You stay in bed until an outside force, maybe an alarm clock, maybe your mom's voice tells you it's time to go and you respond to that because somewhere there's an outside force. There's a boss that said you show up today on time or don't show up tomorrow at all and you need a paycheck because you like to live indoors and eat regularly. And so you do that because there's this outside force that has this this hold on you. You're acted upon. Or sometimes, some of you are in motion and you're going to stay in motion until an outside force acts on you. Your body is going to give out before you give up. And you're not going to rest, even though God tells you to rest, until something makes you stop or one of your loved ones tells you you need to stop. Uh, We tend to stay at rest. We tend to stay in motion. But for the Christian, it's not the alarm clock or the boss or the paycheck that really is the outside force. It's really God's voice to us that should dictate the rhythms of work and rest in your life and in my life. It should be the Holy Spirit that leads you and God's word that guides you. God says, rest one day in seven. Rest from your work. Work six and rest one. What an unusual thing for a God to say. What other God would tell you to rest? What other idol that people worship would say, no, 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 don't work for me every day. This makes, this, it makes God so unique to say, no, 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 I command you. One out of seven, you need to rest and not be lazy, but rest from your purposeful work. Why? because when I rest that one day out of seven, what I remember is that it's not my work that really matters. It's really God's work that really matters. In fact, God can get along just fine in this world without my work. He lets me play a part and I'm grateful for it, but he doesn't need me to do it. And what I remember also is that the most important work in my life, which is my salvation, was not accomplished through my work, but God's work. And I can work 24-7, 365, and never accomplish a lick towards my salvation. Because it's only Jesus and what he did on the cross that can take care of my sins, and your sins, and your guilt, and your shame. It's not my work. It's God's work. Because the truth is, when it comes to our spiritual life, we have all at times been lazy. We have all at times been sluggards because we have all at times not done what we were supposed to do when we were supposed to do it. It's just another way to say we sinned. I did and you did. I haven't always done what I'm supposed to do when we're supposed to do it. And God would be right to say, sluggard, go away. Lazy man, lazy woman, go and have your life without me if that's what you really want. He'd be right to say that. He'd say, you're a bunch of lazy sluggards who don't really care or give much thought to me as your God and creator so you can have what you want eternity without me. But here's the good news. God loves you too much to let your spiritual laziness determine your spiritual future. God loves us too much to let the fact that we have been sluggards condemn us to eternity apart from him. So he sent his son Jesus to do the most important work And he said, if you will put your faith and your trust in him, then his work will be counted as your work. And that's how the gospel works. That your faith in Jesus and his work gets counted for your and my forgiveness. And it's not fair. But it's grace that God offers to you and to me. So if you're there and you're sitting here this morning and you're one of those people that you're here and you haven't given your life to God yet and you've been thinking about it and you're not sure if you should do it, I would say take another lesson from the ant. Because here's the final lesson from the ant. The ant never misses an opportunity. The ant never misses a good opportunity. I don't know what it's like at your house, but in my house, here's what happens when I drop a cracker on the ground. You have a drop of cracker or a potato chip on the ground when you're outside in the summer. I don't know your house, but my house, the ants. I can look down five minutes later and they are all over that cracker. I don't know where they came from or how they knew where the cracker was. I didn't study ants that much. But they know. And they are coming and they are trying to take every piece of that thing away and take that thing away. And that's what ants do. They don't miss an opportunity. And so if you're here today, God brought you here. I believe God brought you here. Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. Maybe you've never put your faith in the work of Christ. Take a lesson from the ant and don't miss the opportunity that God has put before you today. Let's pray. As we close our eyes, just take a moment to consider the Lord and consider our own souls. To consider the word from God and to consider the work of in our own lives. I just ask that if you're a Christian and you're here today, that you'd allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and that you'd honestly ask yourself this question, where in your life have you been busy lazy? If you're a follower of God and you know that God has important work for you to do and he has given you talent, woman of God, and he has given you talent, man of God, and he has given you things to do and people to influence and people to love and people to serve and people to share him with. And at times we have been busy, lazy in our lives. Just ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart to look for those places that we need God's strength and healing in to repent of because we've been busy, lazy with other things. And we need to be about the work of God. But if you're here this morning and maybe you're not a Christian and this morning you want to make that choice to follow Jesus and you want to make that choice to put your faith and your hope in him. On the back of your Connect card, there's a prayer that I'm going to read for you but you're welcome to pray it now or you take it home and you pray it with you. Pray it at home, but you're welcome to pray it after me. It's not a magic prayer. There's no magic special words to it. They're just words that have to come from your own heart, but maybe these would be words that will be helpful to you as you enter into this relationship of giving your life to God. Just like Larry we heard about earlier. God found him. God touched him. God changed his life. God wants to do that in your life too wants to change your life, wants to give you, move you from purposeless work to purposeful work, wants to move you from a place where you're trying to open doors and find fulfillment to this being the last door you have to open to giving you the hope and the strength that you need, that you've been looking for. The prayer goes like this. Thank you, God, for loving me and for sending your son to die for my sins. I repent of my sins and receive Christ as my Savior. And now as your child, I surrender my entire life to you. Lord, I thank you that you have done the hard work that we could not do and that you have given to us what we do not deserve through your son, Jesus Christ. And for those that have prayed this prayer to give their life to you for the first time or to rededicate their life to you, I pray that you would do what you promised to do, that when one person draws close to you, that you will draw close to them. And that you will lead them and guide them in this walk with you. Teach them that dance. Teach them how to walk with you in their life, Lord. To follow you. God, that they might find that hope and fulfillment that they've been looking for in every other door. Lord, we thank you for this. Teach us how to work, Lord. Teach us how to rest. Keep us from slothfulness and laziness. For your sake and in Christ's name.